Good afternoon all. How are we doing? This is actually the last one of the week I'm going to be doing because I'm off tomorrow, but Jack March is going to be covering. We're going to keep the tune it over train going. And uh, so Jim's going to be covering that. He's been scarving first half of this week, so I've dragged him into covering an episode of Chewing It Over for us tomorrow, so you won't get that uh, that break. Um, so, yeah, we've got a really good episode planned because I'm really kind of keen for your thoughts on two key topics. One of them just kicking off on Twitter last few days about um, whether should we should be aspiring for the profession to become, or the industry or MSK therapist to become obsolete, you know, this idea in which you might uh, aspire for patients uh, as individuals as well as then society at large to become better at managing musculoskeletal complaints in such a way that we're then needed less and that that would be a, a, a valuable goal. Now, obviously, there's a big difference between that being a goal and that being likely reality and so i definitely want to get your thoughts on this but say hello if you can you can hear me always gives me the confidence especially having done five minutes without my microphone on uh, earlier in the week so do say hello if you can hear me okay and i hope you're having a good time as i say this is uh, almost my friday um so jim open you tomorrow but what i wanted to do is finish the finish my week at least with a bit of a bang and talk uh, about this idea of, of just how we should what should we should be aspiring to as an industry just how much self-management is too much some analogies being used on Twitter are comparing us in many ways to mechanics or to, to hairdressers or to, to firefighters and all sorts of stuff like that that we're going to get stuck into. The other thing I just wanted to float with you that I would love to hear on your comments that I'm going to come back around to is I got a really interesting question through on, on Periscope um, the other day, um, which was saying, what would you say is your number one pet peeves these days? You know, I just think that that was such a fascinating thing. And I'd love to get your 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 take on this, right? Broadly, about in and around the MSK industry, education and fair play at the moment, it can be anything. Chewing it over is about all sorts of things and it may well be current affairs and the like as well. So what are your, someone asked me this and I'll, I'll come to answer this later on in the show, but what would you say is the, what would you say is your core pet peeves? Um, and, and I don't care what area that is, be that specific to professional issues or not, but what you call pet peeves. And I've got some answers to that that I'll come back to later. But what I would say, and thank you for, thank, thank I've got some folks saying hello. Always brilliant when we've got people joining us. Hey, Phil, hi, Steph, Joe Turner on LinkedIn. Brilliant. As, I, as I've told many of you before, we've also then got oh, Kath listening in to my redundancy plan. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant yeah absolutely yeah that's uh, what people have been fearing people saying about um whether it is going to be uh creating obsolete and how likely that is and is that imminent so yeah welcome thank you for thank you for joining um brilliant we're streaming this across various different platforms and uh, so it's always brilliant to, to have many of you joining from various different corners of the internet which is which is great notice that linkedin's been working last few episodes which I, they didn't tell me that that was ready um We've been carefully selected. We're one of the rare few that can live stream onto LinkedIn. So what an honor that is. So thank you for joining us there. So let me get stuck in then. What was then floated? And it was came off the back of an article that Evie Martin had posted where uh, the Critical Physiotherapy Network, Dave Nichols, had posted a blog post that had then been integrated into a Finnish, uh, Finnish publication for, for physiotherapists there in Finland, of which Evie lives in Finland, known as being the online physio and has a network of, of virtual consultation support um, and brilliant work that she's doing. But she floated this idea in, and posted a screenshot of this article, which says that essentially is the amount of online sharing, particularly in around COVID, is that then meaning that there's so many materials and resources that people are going to be um, potentially then 
uh, driving there's going to be so much free content out there so much ways so many ways in which people can interact with it for free that fundamentally you're going to do physios out of a job and that over time we're going to be creating such a, a self-management culture and an online resource set that potentially people wouldn't be seeking out our expertise quite as much as they would otherwise be and then matthew wyatt uh, posted uh, uh, and uh, Matthew that those of you that don't know me uh, me and him sorry um, work closely together through MSKR etc and he's someone that has been doing a lot of work as MSKR's associate director for clinical excellence and so he was then arguing that essentially we should be aspiring and they used this word um, and which 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 kind of clearly triggered some people which was we should be aspiring to make ourselves obsolete and that was what what he did unpack in more tweets was the fact that done well we would be making the interaction that we have with individual patients such a such a thing that they would then live their lives in in, in better and healthier manners in which they would therefore need us less as individuals but then also if, if society at large was was doing better managing their care better managing their health better a lot of the predisposing factors that that influence musculoskeletal issues barring your more um say acute or contact style sporting injuries you're in a situation where their their ability and recovery uh would be such that they wouldn't need us as much right it would attenuate the need for us and so you then use this word we would make ourselves obsolete you then got this this issue that i had with it is that you've got two key variables that happen there you've got the fact that is that an aspiration and matthew made clear that he thinks it's not something that he thinks would be achieved it's just that by integrating that heuristic you're going to then be in a situation where you're aspiring to that in such a way that even though you're never going to achieve it you're trying to instigate better self-management uh, under support and then lack of guidance as they need as they don't need it anymore but then you've also got the way in which society at large becomes healthier off the back of that aspiration um, and then people and then the second thing was then people feeling like that was something that was being suggested as to the fact that we should be naturally already less prevalent and running less interference and stuff like that and so it was this notion that instead of it being an aspiration that never gets achieved and, and even as we trying to achieve it physiotherapy or the style of care that is being delivered under quality msk therapy even though that is proliferating we should be aspiring to to make it less needed that is a difference between us then saying right here's physiotherapy and here's msk therapy and let's try and phase that out of existence as of now and some people were really bothered by it and started to use analogies that i think sort of didn't didn't carry very well so there was this notion that examples being used i think tom goom had mentioned the fact that you don't have hairdressers that uh, you know i go and see a hairdresser and they don't inspire me to to manage my hair and cut my hair myself and this self-management idea just doesn't carry into that industry and he was saying that therefore the aspiration that physios sometimes have and msk therapies have to to make us make themselves less needed just seems a nonsense compared to other industries personally i just don't find that you know that especially when it comes to things like hairdressers mechanics as well we're often getting compared to i just don't think that 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 analogy carries very well at all um, and I'll come to why if, if you're interested and you need me to unpack that as to why I don't like those analogies, then please do mention it and I'll, I'll double back around. But as a general rule, there's two things really. There's, I think that the, the aspiration to become less needed, especially with the demographic of patients that we see an awful lot of, and even in those instances where people have acute and contact injuries where you might think, well, they wouldn't have been attenuated necessarily by better fitness, better health behaviors, better understanding of pain. I completely disagree, even though they are more likely to need some help compared to persistent issues that may otherwise not have emerged under different healthy circumstances. 
the recovery and the way in which people understand their bodies and the way that they can then learn to trust the timeframes that are involved in it mean that there's less likely for an intervention even in those circumstances than it would have otherwise been. And so even in those circumstances where you think the injury wouldn't have been prevented, you're in a situation where the recovery of that injury or incident or condition would be, it would be better managed if someone had better understanding, especially in and around the difference between a sort of perception and actuality of the relevance of tissue injury in a specific tissue pathology sense. But then also just the broader understanding of the timeframes involved in what, what is smart for getting back to work, getting back to sport, people making better decisions because their instincts are influenced by better education. So if some of the messaging in and around contemporary MSK practice was being culturally integrated into being passed down through family lines, being integrated into schooling education, the better understanding of health behaviours, that is going to be potentially making us obsolete. Now, the likelihood, and this is the key thing, is the practicality of that. And what I would say as a pragmatist is that we're always going to be needed in a way of guiding that process. And so it's just that the aspiration is very different to the actuality of it. And so when it comes to what will likely be, is that anyone that seems to think that we should be, that, that, that MSK therapy is inherently a net bad and we should just be backing away and just be less available and therefore less needed. I'm just not supportive of that argument. I think it's sort of nihilistic and I think it's not helpful. And it also can just be a, a basic way of sort of really narrowly talking down uh, what we do and what we can offer society. I'm obviously a reformer. I'm pretty out in that regard. I don't think we're necessarily, as it stands right now, a, a, an overwhelming net positive, especially because of the variation in clinical practice. But I would say that we definitely would, in a pragmatic level, be in a situation where we can still be aspiring to be less needed, less important, aspiring to become more become obsolete, as, as, as Matthew said, but then still recognizing an incredible value for a number of years yet uh, for trying to aspire in a direction where we can share those messages, help people to understand a functionally scaled rehabilitation model of care, to recognize that some of the old notions of what we could do with our bare hands or with our gadgets and gizmos, where we used to think we were just literally influencing in a corrective manner people's biomechanics and, and tissue characteristics and all that sort of stuff. That is the key variable there is that helping people to understand that we're not influencing you in that way. You don't need us as you used to think in that sense where you were needing to have your, your issues corrected for in a very literal way by passive and or interactive modalities. But then also there's a place for those things as integrated within a care model that if done well, you would also change your health behaviors and therefore society at large becomes you know, better, better used to those healthier decisions. That's how, over time, will become less important, and it would be a it'd be a success. Now we'd naturally find our, ourselves adapting. You know, if if weirdly that utopia came, it'd be very strange if the skill set that we'd we'd garnered to help people get there wasn't able to adapt into into other things. Now it'd be very strange, I think, to even get there. But the ability for us to then recognize the the sort of coaching aspects, as Andrew McCauley was making some great points, as was Katie Napton and Evie Martin, I think, as well, weighing in a bit on this, where they were sort of suggesting that the coaching aspects of what we were doing in terms of care delivery 
are going to be so central to helping people change behaviours in all host of ways. So it's very strange if we were to become obsolete as, as people, as characters that are able to sell their labour. That'd be very strange. Uh, also, it'd be very narrow-minded to think that we couldn't be adaptable to how the world's going to be changing, just as we have done recently. So there's my two pennies worth on that, or three or four pennies worth. I know I've been going on a little bit there. Let's get to some of your comments. Please do share them if you haven't already. Massive thanks to those that have already. Um, really keen on your thoughts on this because it was definitely a hot topic and one I'm glad we've been able to visit. Katie, hi, good to see you. Uh, let's have a little look. What's she, what's she saying? Let's get some of these on screen. Right, people will still need personal guidance, certainly for the seeable future. And the fact that good info is out there is a positive, absolutely. So at the heart of what we were talking about before I started going off on one just about the Twitter thread is obviously the, the core of this at the start was Evie posting that thing about the fact that materials are readily available and people being concerned that you're almost giving away too much for free. Therefore, the individuals that deliver those services are going to be less needed. That was one of the hearts of the argument. And what Katie's saying is good info being out there is, is going to be better. Um, it wasn't mentioned in any of the um, uh, the original posts, and although I think it got brought up in the, straight, in the thread stream, is obviously we're invested as MSKR uh, for quality patient information. So you can send your patients to mskr.info for quality patient information. And it's free of charge. And we, we are proud that that is the case. Um, who else has got some comments in here? Katie just adding to her points here as well. We should always try and encourage self-management, be realistic about the treatment limitations. Absolutely. No, you know, as, as ever, I'm a, rather a big Katie Napton fan. Do check out PhysioFast online, um, and who, which is now in boots. What a breakthrough that is for the profession. Brilliant therapists and brilliant uh, styles of delivery virtually available in boots on your high street. How exciting is that? Do check them out. Uh, some other great comments here. Let's try and get through some of them. One coming in from LinkedIn here from Phil Harris. Thanks a lot for joining us, Phil, over on LinkedIn. One of the strengths that we have as physiotherapists is education. The online content available is great, but it needs to be adapted to the individuals. And that is where the artistry of physio comes in and why I don't believe that will result in less of a need for physios. Couldn't have put it better. In fact, I've just spent 10 minutes ranting and, and Phil's just summed that up really lovely. I think that that is it, is that, that human interface of integrating some of that education or making it individualized for patients when they need it. So sometimes they might go through a process of uh, engaging with general information and often they've done well and, and when they've got the right advice, it might only get them to sort of 40%. And to get them beyond that sometimes needs individual uh, that individual soft touch and, and artistry, as Phil's put it, um, which I think is really interesting for him to, to have raised. And I can't agree more. Um, Ellie Tipney. Hi, Ellie. Great to, great to hear from you. She's over on Facebook. Makes complete sense to me that that can be our goal. That's what therapy is. Our jobs will not be at risk. Yeah, I think, admittedly, I find that it's, it's such a, it seems to be like, like I said, people were triggered and being a bit blinkered into thinking that that was somehow it was a neg. It wasn't a negative message. It was actually quite an inspiring way in which we might, by aspiring to do ourselves out of a job in a narrow individual sense, would only proliferate the need. So I think that's why um, I, I do agree. I think it feels like it would be smart. Um, Evie, good to see you. She triggered all this debate. Uh, she's been doing very well recently, so uh, quite excited to, to have her in the thread because she obviously sparked a, she lit the match. In the article, one of the author's main points was there was that we are training other less exper exper expensive people to be able to do what we do. Now, this brings it back to what this article, because this is what I'm, I'm talking about the premise and definitely talking more about the sort of Twitter interactions, particularly when Matthew had, had, had set the old bomb of, of mentioning obsolete um physios but what evie's mentioning there is that in the actual piece it was saying about the fact that we're training other less expensive people to do what we're doing and 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 
underneath that, and, and I'll, I'll post a link to the blog post itself, um, where the points being made about the fact that sometimes we might be uh, commoditizing some of the work that we do in such a way that then devalues the profession. And it's an argument that gets made in that piece. It's not, maybe it's one that we'll discuss next week. I think it's probably a worthwhile thing to zoom in on ourselves, but fundamentally I think there's some flaws in that argument and some flaws in that, that logic, not just in that piece. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's something that I think um, that, that piece of work, but also some of the ways that places in which that's nested, you know, there's plenty of things I disagree with, with some of the stuff that's coming out of that network. And I think that at the heart of it is just a bit of a, a bit of a narrow reading of, you know, it's, it sort of looks critically, which is smart, but in a, in a sense, it's, it's not necessarily recognizing the approaches to what, how that can be a, of, a, of a benefit as well as as a negative and, and balancing those things out appropriately, recognizing that training other less expensive people it's just like well it depends what's happening to the person that's then done the training it's like it's highly unlikely that they're going to be displaced in fact there's no evidence being provided that that is happening that there's going to be a displacement of that person that did the training if anything they then uh, hopefully managing an appropriate caseload and then those that have been trained by them are then managing a, a similarly appropriate caseload and so i just don't think that that argument was well unpacked and if we want to visit that more closely then we can do on another chewing it over episode Let's have another look at a couple of other comments here. This is brilliant. Uh, yes, of course, Jeanette. Uh, Jeanette Lewis here has said, uh, could we get a link to the article? Thanks. That would be great. Evie, if you don't mind, that would be brilliant if you can post that. If, if it's not there on the stream when I'm done, I will get that posted uh, to the original blog post and to the actual tweet stream. would be really brilliant. Uh, thank you for that uh, so that people can understand the context of which we're chewing over today. Joe Turner. Lovely comment here. Let's have a look. I've been lucky enough to speak to medics about this issue. Another aspect to this is how we model health behavior ourselves. If we're overwhelmed, burnt out, because we have the belief that our value is how we're dependent on for fixing, we are reinforcing the problem. Lovely point there. And certainly something that when you speak to other colleagues and you speak to some of our medical colleagues that have kind of been through some of this thinking over the years and, and how it felt like there was some protectionism and then they recognized that actually we can do more together and that um, physiotherapists and pharmacists and podiatrists being able to see people that maybe would have otherwise been micromanaged under general practice means that instead of it displacing that work and therefore GPs been twiddling their thumbs, instead if the GPs were managing uh, and the surgeons were managing cases that were more appropriate for them and similarly the physios, podiatrists, pharmacists, etc. It means there's plenty of work to go around guys for, for in healthcare. Let's not pretend that uh, that there's a, there's a pie that we're just splitting up, right? This is an ever-changing, ever-evolving picture. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for that, Joe. It's a brilliant point. Um, there's some links being shared here by Evie. Thank you so much. I've also got Matt Scarsbrook. I feel like I'm about to pull up a comment which is in reply to something. Um, so I, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to I don't want to bring it up on screen out of sync. I'm sorry, Matthew, if I'm... Uh, I'm losing track of your, of your comments. Oh, here's one. Here's a good one. Right. So let's just have this from Matthew. Interestingly, is this where manual therapy comes back in, where it becomes acceptable for people to seek massage, et cetera, given the links to improve mental health and recognition of client choice for the activities, if they so choose to support such ongoing health? Very interesting point from Matthew there. Of course, I imagine something that he's going to be... Uh, he's going to be sharing as part of the Massage Matters podcast, which was announced this week. Very exciting. Matthew and colleagues are going to be sharing some information and insights about that. I would say that I don't think it's something that we need to consider as a green light for waving through a load more manual therapy or interventional techniques. 
um, as a means of justification of, of people's style. I think that that's where it gets clumsy. However, I do accept what Matthew's saying, whereby under the right contemporary framework, then people craving um, massage techniques uh, as a means of relaxation or for them to recognize the sort of social grooming aspects of being able to, to relax or to, to attenuate pain in a, in a way that's non-pharmaceutical. Of course, there's absolutely room for that, in my opinion, in the industry. But it's just that the, the way in which we balance that out and understand it is going to be key. And so, of course, Matthew and colleagues are going to be talking about that plenty, no doubt, on the, uh, on the way in which uh, they're going to be discussing things on Massage Matters, which is great. So, Thank you so much for your comments on that. That's absolutely brilliant. For the last few minutes of this this broadcast, I want to go back to something that I floated at the start, which was someone asked me, uh, what are your pet peeves uh, in the MSK game? But also in general, people were um, asking as to whether or not there were uh, anything that, that... I mean, if I had key pet peeves, they'd definitely have come up by now um, on this show. But maybe if I just lay out a few of them, then you can tell me as to whether or not they're things that you want unpacking on chewing it over. But it does sound like this topic, from what I can tell, is going to be discussed uh, far and wide, and we can definitely come back to this next week. And maybe even Jim will pick some of this up uh, and get his take on the matter tomorrow as well. He's going to be leading chewing it over uh, tomorrow at 12.30. But pet peeves for me, I can't help but um, name three uh, rather than one. Um, and they are in different areas of, of my work. In pr on a practice-based level, in MSK practice, my biggest pet peeve, admittedly, is the uh, categorical thinking that can be narrowly pigeonholing people into diagnostic categories or the fact that people are picking a modality or style of delivery of, of, of treatment. So even on the, you know, regardless of diagnosis and assessment, there's then uh, people still taking sides over what style of therapist they are. And I just think that the melting pot idea is, you know, biopsychosocial concepts of what is contributing to um and and what dispositions people have that are then contributing to diagnoses and what are influencing their symptoms and influencing their life particularly when it's someone that's uh, got a problem that's recurrent or persistent the fact that people are still trying to narrowly put people into diagnostic boxes sometimes of which have great validity by the way right you know i'm not i'm not sort of suggesting open really broad umbrella diagnoses for everything but it's just the way that people are still tempted to pigeonhole sometimes because of how we've been trained not just through the MSK schools, but also just generally through our understanding of, of things need boxes. Um, that still drives me crazy on a clinical level. And I think that the majority of people that come and see us for an eighth opinion or whatever, it's so rarely something that's super niche or super specialized where I'm pulling a really interesting diagnosis out of, a, out of the bag. It's usually something where people have been narrowly pigeonholed by different clinicians into something that just needed to comply them within a, a reasoning model. And then they've picked treatment of that in such a way it just sort of makes me feel uncomfortable now i'd say that that's on a clinical level on a education and sort of um, interprofessional um education piece i'd say that one of the, one of my pet peeves is a inherent lack of clarif uh, lack of qualification and lack of qualification lack of collaboration sorry where some of the best ideas, of course, aren't exclusive to any particular governing body or organization or podcast team in our case. You know, we all have these ideas and we know that there's other things that are going on that are not dissimilar. And instead of collaborating those things together, sometimes despite knowing about them, instead of bringing that together and, and, and joining forces or, or making sure that things don't get duplicated, the amount of educational and, and, and sort of labor waste that goes on by people trying to reinvent the same wheel it just drives me crazy and, and it gets me frustrated in many ways does that because there's just so many examples whereby 
people want their own badge or name or label across the top of something and 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 because there's some protectionism that goes on where people don't share the spoils or give credit where it's due, et cetera, means that people just end up duplicating. And I hate the fact that there's so much waste goes on. So that's on a, a sort of interprofessional education piece where people, some people are doing the same things. And even though there's opportunity to collaborate, people turn it down for, for sometimes egotistical reasons or just talking past each other or sometimes not knowing about each other's projects. It just irritates me. Um, so that's a pet peeve there. And on a policy level, the biggest one that you'll hear me bringing up, and I'll probably talk about this, it's got planned for a next week's episode, probably get some guests on about this, is that there's uh, on a policy level, the leadership style level, then I just think that the biggest pet peeve I have in the industry is cowardice. Right, there's just so many cowards out there that just will not speak their mind. The amount of times I get people tell me interesting things in private that just can't share even a version of it publicly. And uh, what they often describe and they're trying to cop out on is this idea that that's how somehow diplomatic. Now, what I always describe, and it's a bit of a you know a bit of a sloganeering thing from me, is that the gap between what you think and what you say publicly can sometimes be diplomacy, right? Sometimes it's not appropriate for you to speak your mind quite as abruptly as you might be thinking it. Sometimes it's diplomacy. But sometimes the gap between what you think and what you say publicly is just cowardice. And sometimes you've got to be able to try and know those two things, be able to tell them apart. Because sometimes you might think that it's being, you're being diplomatic when actually you're just being a coward. And sometimes it might come across as cowardly, whereas actually it's more diplomatic. But fundamentally, don't, don't pretend, don't kid yourself that you're always being diplomatic or that your leaders are being diplomatic. To have something, in, hold an opinion in private and not be able to share it publicly. It's, you've got to find a way to do that. There's got to be a bit of bravery involved in that and sticking your neck out. And it just drives me crazy, the amount of backroom deals that go on or, or muttering under breath or people being forthcoming with really interesting opinions that would really my opinion often help the situation that then just can't get shared because people are being cowardly so that just drives me crazy on a policy level they're my pet peeves if i had to pick my one of those three i'd really struggle but I suppose you can see i'm getting particularly passionate about the latter one so um let's see what your thoughts are on that please post your comments in here uh, we've not got a lot of time for this now but essentially if you post your comments in we'll definitely pick that up in future episodes it certainly sounds like any of those pet peeves could be something to chew over in a bit more detail particularly if you disagree with me or if you've got any other pet peeves then please do share them with me any questions will definitely come to them on another episode many thanks here to those of you that have joined today particularly here we've got joe turner she seems to have joined us for the duration which is great so she's saying yes to collaboration and to courage she seems to be agreeing with some of my pet peeves here which is brilliant also, lovely comment here from Jeanette Lewis. Thanks for joining us again, Jandine. Couldn't agree more. Physiotherapy and sports therapy is a perfect example of that. I imagine she's meaning the lack of collaboration and things like that. Absolutely. Do check out MSK Reform if you haven't already to see how we're going to try and bridge those gaps. Oh, I've got a comment here from YouTube. Khan Shin, thank you for joining us, Khan. What is your view on transitioning into telehealth? Let's make sure we visit that next week. Let's get people like Katie Knapp and Evie Martin involved in that conversation too about telehealth and consultations there's some pros and cons to various different things of it but done well with the right heuristic of, of, of reasoning i think it can be a brilliant asset and we need to integrate it very very quickly um and you know as i mentioned before those names um are the people to to go and look at for how you can uh, smooth the smooth the bridge smooth the bridge or smooth the, the lines i don't know ride the bridge over to, to a comfortable world of telehealth um Oh, there's some brilliant comments here. I can't get to them all. And I notice I'm out of time. I'm two minutes late starting. 
struggling to get off uh, uh, my last call because, as you know, I'm a witterer, a waffler. And so you're lucky I was on time ever. But thank you so much for joining. That's been a whirlwind of a show. I really enjoyed talking to you about pet peeves, but also about whether or not we should be aspiring to be obsolete. What a brilliant topic that was, um, as, as was highlighted in the comments. You know, we weren't able to zoom in on every single part of it. It was more reflecting on the sort of Twitter furore that had gone on around it and whether that's a good aspiration or whether it's practically relevant, whether the analogies that were used across different professions, then please do let us, uh, let us know. So thank you so much for joining. Hope you've enjoyed chewing it over today. Join us tomorrow. Jim will be covering for me. It's the first time it's been covered. I'm sure he'll do a fantastic job. And otherwise, I will see you next week. And if it all goes well, you'll get a fancy little outro from me, but it rarely does. I usually fluff it up at this point, but uh, I'll see you later. Thanks a lot for joining. Do comment and share. Get this shared widely, and I'll see you next week. Take care.